Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. Um, I hope my uh, connection is going to stay stay okay um, throughout this. Um, but please let me know if it cuts off and you can't hear me. Um, little problem with Wi-Fi here. Um, this morning, I got into my head that I wanted to talk about well, let's see. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to start doing a series of talks on the life of the Buddha here at, at Brooklyn Zen. And just in thinking about this, um, I wanted to kind of talk about how I see the life of the Buddha um, and where I'm kind of coming from with uh, in the, in the terms of, of, of that story. Um, the Buddhist story for me is very important. It was my entry into Buddhism, really, in hearing this story. Um, I started meditating, not Zazen, but medicate, meditating, <laughs> meditating, meditating um, based on a feeling that I had um, after I experienced it in a classroom. Um, I think I've told the story before. There was an Indian gentleman that visited um, a religion class that I was taking in college. And he had us do um, some meditation in our seats in that big auditorium. And it resonated with me. It made me feel better. All the things that I probably needed at that time as a teenager um, in school. In trying to find out what meditation was about because it had not been part of my life prior to that, um, I had no real religious upbringing. My mother sent us to church every once in a while or with somebody else. Um, but we didn't have a, uh, a, a religious regimen in our house. Um, so that really wasn't a part. Ritual, meditation, that kind of um, inquiry was not um, part of my life up until then. And so, of course, I did what you do when you're in college. And what I need to do is pick up some books. Um, meditation is a part of a lot of different um, traditions, as we know. It has, it's part of, beyond being part of the Buddhist tradition, it's part of Hinduist tradition, it's part of the Christian tradition in the old days and still um, in this time. Um, and I don't know much about um, Islam, but I'm sure it's part of that as well. Um, and I read some of those things, but what caught me um, was not their take on meditation, but the story of how this came to be in Buddhism through um, 
Shakyamuni Buddha. There are lots of versions of how this story is told. Um, it's mainly, it sounds when we, when I, when we, when I pick up the sutras um, and these um, various um, books or stories or myths of the Buddha, um, it's full of magic. It's full of you know, devas, gods, monsters, demons, um, angels, or sorts of angels, um, magical beings coming down from the sky, uh, coming up from the earth. But, you know, and it's, it tells a story of this um, person who had all kinds of magical powers and special wisdom and special in every way, um, beyond human, um, can take you to different realms in a heartbeat. But the stories of the Buddha that resonated with me and still do, um, are the stories where his feet, where Siddhartha Katama of the Shakya clan's feet touched the ground. The very human part of it um, is what resonates. There's nowhere that I see, and I'm not a scholar. Um, and let me just say, this is not an anti intellectual sort of bent that I have. Um, it's not that I don't appreciate the scholarly um, inquiries into the sutras, into Buddhist philosophy and ideas and so on. I think those could be kind of fun. Um, that intellectual part of it is us using our brains that we can't help but use and picking something up, picking up um, the Dharma and turning it around and exploring it in the ways that we have our this limited capacity that we have. Um, what I feel is that the intellectual part of it is just that, just limited, you know. It's limited to the, the, what our eyes can see, what our brains can conceive, what, you know, the, 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 the uh, limitations of this flesh sack that we are, you know, this bag of water that we are. And there's nothing wrong with that, so long as we recognize that it is limited. So it's not an anti-intellectual bent that I'm, that I'm going for, but it's something that I feel, some, a, a way that I like, that I can look at it and I can um, connect to it. And, and I recognize those limits as well. 
So if you'll excuse me for the mistakes that I make and the um, misconceptions that I might have, um, then correct me if you'd like. But as I said, my connection to Siddhartha, brother Siddhartha, father Siddhartha, companion Siddhartha. Um, not God Siddhartha, not heavenly being Siddhartha. Um, and sometimes, and, and this sounds blasphemous, not even Buddha Siddhartha, but that man who 2,500 years ago, more than that now, um, sat down under a tree and explored himself and the world for me and shared it so thoroughly, so completely that 2,500 years down, here I am connected to that being and all beings um, and striving to do the same. That example, um, that friend, um, the story of the birth of the Buddha is one of those magical stories we always hear, um, you know, how, well, in a version that, I, that I've read, this being began as um, a bodhisattva in the realm of contentment uh, in a previous life. And when that life was over, when that piece of his samsara was over, um, or her, whatever, it doesn't say, um, their samsara was over. Um, they entered into the womb of Maya. And this birth was from the very start um, celebrated, anticipated with odd dreams of white elephants and all kinds of uh, expectations because Maya was a princess married to a king and that child was expected to be great from the get-go. And when the child was born, the child was born in the middle of a woman's journey. Um, we need to note that. A not a simple woman, but you know, a princess as we say, but just a woman, really. Not with a simple life is what I meant, but, um, but just a woman who in doing something that was normal, at the time, walking from her husband's home 
to her parents' home to bear her child, as was, as I say, as was the uh, um, what was done at the time, um, gave birth in the middle of uh, the journey, hanging on to the branch of a tree along the side of the road. She was surrounded by her sisters, just a woman giving birth. And from that birth, you know, came this wonderful being who we are told dropped out of the womb, clean, pristine, uh, didn't have to be washed off. He was already pure and clean, they say. Um, took seven steps and proclaimed himself the thus come one and proclaimed to us that this was going to be his last journey on the wheel of samsara. And apparently he just went back to being a regular baby because after that, they don't talk about any, you know, they don't say that he talked or they don't say that he walked, but uh, sat down and began. Yeah. And there's nothing I've found um, and maybe the scholars among you might have might see that about that toddlerhood <laughs> of you know of the Buddha, but there's no indication that he um, continued that walking and talking beyond that until he was ready. But right away, just like any other life, special and as anticipated as he was. Tragedy struck and he lost his mother just a few days after. And just like uh, most children, you know, who come into the world, he had a father who had expectations already from the, from the cradle of who this child should become. Um, and that child having to live up to those expectations. Sounds all familiar because that's how all of us begin. We begin celebrated and loved um, anticipated and expected to do great things from the womb. And right away, we start to lose things. People get sick. Life starts to happen. Even if we're, whether we're princes or whether we're, you know, pariahs, life starts to happen. And some of us might have that good karma where we're brought up in a palace um, and educated and fed well. Um, but even those of us who don't have that karma, 
um, we have the blessings of a parent and people around us in a community that cares for us. And sometimes those things fall apart or pieces of it fall away because this is the suffering and the, well, this is not the suffering. These are the conditions from which we make suffering in our lives. So even from the start, even from that glorious, magical start, Siddhartha is not much different from all of us. And as we go along, as our lives come come into being, um, as we become, we learn of sickness, old age, and death. It becomes uh, life, loss, gain, or what we see as gain and loss, and what we do with it in terms of how we create our own suffering from those changes that happen, from the life that happens. Right there. In Buddhism, or, you know, we say that um, our sort of uh, intention is to step off, off the wheel of samsara to escape from this wheel of, uh, of, of, of life, of suffering. Um, we say, you know, if you believe in, in, the, in reincarnation, I don't know that I do or, in, or that it's that, that simple a thing that you just come back. I don't know. Um, but if we're on this wheel um, where we don't want to come back, where we don't want to be on earth and death, earth and death, earth and death over and over again, exactly why is it that we celebrate the birth of any being? Why are we happy when a child is born? Shit, we, we're, we're happy when, you know, um, Spot has puppies. Yeah. We get all excited and happy for it, even though we know that life is going to happen to that new being, to that new body that's shown up that samsara is still turning. Why that contradiction there? Um, 
It could be because our egos say that we need to procreate and there need to be more of us, more of me, more beings like me, more beings to serve me, more beings to um, live out my um, expectations. The sun who will take it into the future. Take what into the future? To a future that doesn't exist yet. Why are we so happy for that? Why do we get so crazy happy for it? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be. I think we should be. Every birth is an opportunity. Every birth is a potential for the liberation of all of us. That's another Bodhisattva, another potential Buddha. So yes, to the celebration. But if we see it like that, if I'm gonna see it that way, that means that I need to treat that being in that way, treat that potential as something precious and marvelous and miraculous. Yeah, we have to let go of our expectations. We have to let go of our fear of change, our fear of dissolution and death. And we need to, because that's the cause of our suffering. We need to let go of all of the things that we hold on to when it comes to other beings. You know, we have to let go of the all about us when it comes to other beings. At the same time, we need to work with this being um, this sack of blood and guts. And be kind to that too, because it's also potential. It's also a path to liberation for this um, idea of self that I have and for all the beings that I encounter. And that was the Buddha's life, if I think about it, and that's how I think of it. I think of this person who sat under the tree for however, however many hours, however many days, you know, depending on what sutra you read, um, and actually became liberated, actually 
cut that thread that tangled in that wheel of samsara, that wheel of uh, birth and death. And yet got up and walked into a grove and did his best to tell us about it. Did his best to help us on that path. He walked back and forth on the roads of India for the rest of his life, encountering us everywhere. We brought our suffering to his Dharma talks and asked our crazy questions. And he did his best to answer. Yeah, there were times, I guess, when he stayed in palaces and um, great temples. He knew a lot of people, a lot of um, influential, smart people. He knew a lot of um, people who were, let's just say, not ready and drew a lot of obstacles in the way and yet treated them all the same when they came to him. He met a lot of people who um, were ready and could read the message in a single flower. Um, and he supported them and taught with them. And sent them on their way to do their work in the world. He didn't write any books. How much people wrote about books about him, whatever. I wonder if he, you know, what do you would think of that? He was there, is what I get from, the, from my readings. He was there. He was on the ground with us the whole time. And one of my favorite parts of the Buddha story, um, sounds weird, is the part where he gets, where he um, encounters old age. And the sutras don't say that he avoided any of that. He had backache, he had Ananda and his attendants, you know, who would come and give him a massage, you know, so that he could sleep. He had stomach ache and all kinds of issues that come with the 
dissolution of this body. He experienced it all. He experienced strife within the Sangha and anger of, from people, anger and jealousy from people who um, didn't understand, who just weren't ready. This wasn't their time. But his compassion extended, as I said, to everyone. His teaching, he extended to everyone. And his death, again, you know, um, on a journey somewhere, on his way to somewhere. Happened again under the trees. Not in some palace, or not in some special, on top of some special mountain, but on the road, on the path, somewhere. From a regular ailment. You know, not struck by lightning, not dissolved into the, you know, universe like Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, just laying down and letting the body go. And it's funny because you know, we from all the stories about the Buddha and flying off into the universe, you know, taking, you know, taking a giant leap to Mount Sumeru and to this mount, whatever, that pepper these um, sutras and these legends, you know. In the end, it was just a body a body that even now people say they have pieces of, a tooth, a hair, a flake of skin, just a human sack of meat, sack of water, just like this one. It's interesting to me to think of what we hold as miracles, as miraculous. It runs a gamut of everything from flying people, levitation, magic tricks, and, or maybe not tricks, but magical events. But also, in some NICU somewhere, there's this little being 
struggling to take the next miraculous breath. Another little miracle. Now maybe mom didn't have dreams of elephants. Maybe there's no palace waiting for her. There's a whole lot of potential. A whole lot of opportunity for freedom, enlightenment, whatever that is. Liberation for all of us in that little sack of water and her struggles. And maybe that doesn't make sense to a lot of people who study Buddhism and study the Buddha and the sutras. Um, maybe it's just a feeling I have. But that's how I connect to this. That's the only way I can um, in this limited sack of ideas um, that need to be dropped, uh, feelings that need to be looked at and put aside. Um, it's our limits that um, bring us to this practice. Um, I don't know what I want to say beyond that. Let me see. Because it goes into, well, I'm, I'm not going there yet. But that's my take on the Buddha story, on the legends and the beautiful um, example that this guy that did nothing more than sit in meditation and walk around. <laughs> There's a, a book that I'm sure um, many of us have read um, that I really like that sometimes gets, um, I don't know, gets, gets short shrift because of how it's written. Um, but Old Path, um, White Clouds, is that the right name? Thich Nhat Hanh. I love the way he wrote, writes that book. It may or may not be, um, uh, I don't feel like, I, I don't know, because uh, like I said, I'm not a scholar. I don't know where it meets the canon, where it misses or whatever. But I love the way he tells that story. Um, almost like, it, well, it is a novel. It's actually a novel of the Buddhist life. 
I haven't read it in a long time. Um, I might start reading it again in a, couple, in a week if I get a hold of it. Um, but my re recollection of the way he tells the story so matter-of-factly, so humanly, um, it's just, I think it's an especially good book, probably for young people. I'm not sure that it's written for young people, but maybe that was his intent. Um, and admittedly, I think it did color my idea of the Buddhist story, the ideas that I have or the feelings that I have for the Buddhist story. Um, I can totally see how people can connect to um, the miraculous parts, the magical parts. But even, you know, um, when I think of the story of, and I'm not really up on Christian literature either. As I said, I didn't grow up in that tradition. Um, I know it from school. I know it from um, religion class, <laughs> maybe. But even the story of Jesus, it's where his feet touch the ground. It touches me. It's not taking an example from a God. It's taking an example from somebody who experienced what we experienced. Taking an example from someone showing what our possibilities are. that we can overcome suffering, that we can touch the real ultimate reality and be free. And that the path to that liberation lies not in our isolation and our keeping it to ourselves and secret powers, but in every time we encounter each other as part of our world, as part of us. And to just keep walking, keep going along that path, keep making the most of this opportunity. So I don't know if that's long enough, but that's what I have to say for today without getting into something else. So 
Um, I thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.